Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. This is James Altucher. Welcome again to the James Altucher Show, and I have Judy Jew, Iron Chef Judy Jew, on the show. Now, Judy, do people actually use that as a title? Like, do they call you Miss Iron Chef or anything like that? You know what? It's it's funny because, um, yeah, kind of. I mean, just because I, I do so much of Iron Chef in the States as well in, in terms of judging, that they always introduce me as Iron Chef UK, Judy Jew. And I think that's part of the franchise is trying to, you know, enforce into the, uh, the, the, the watcher that it is this, like, worldwide global franchise. And there's Iron Chef Thailand and Iron Chef Australia and Iron Chef Vietnam and Japan. And um, so it's just kind of, I don't know, maybe it's this title, like, president once you have it you always have it <laughs> well know, well but, now, and we'll get yeah. into the there's a lot of interesting things in your background and we'll get into the whole yeah. uh, meat of the story in a second but do all the iron chefs ever get together for like dinner and everyone's just like criticizing the restaurant <laughs> Um, well, you know, in, in America, we did this epic Iron Chef global battle where they flew in the Iron Chef from Thailand. They flew in the guys from Australia, and if they flew in me from, from the U.K., and so, um, you know, we kind of had this big powwow. We didn't we didn't um, go up against each other and go out to dinner, but um, I think if we did, <laughs> it would be a lot of critiquing. But a, a, I, lot a lot of knives being like, pulled out. Yeah. yeah. Now, I mean, did, just, we, just take, yeah, we just take food for what it is. Did you have you ever met like the original Iron Chef, you know, Chairman Kaga? No, never. I would love to though. He's crazy. <laughs> wow, he's kind of like mysterious and in the background now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm I'm kind of obsessed with that original um, series. It, it so, was it was very cultish and kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, so so let's 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 lead up to that because your story is so interesting to me. You've totally. You're what I call a choose-yourself person. You chose yourself uh, to basically have the career of your dreams because you you started off with a completely different career. So so yeah. why, why don't you um, you know rather than me saying it to the audience, why don't you say what was your original job? You know where did where did you um, come from? Well, I, I I came from New Jersey. So oh, where where in New Jersey? Jersey? I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> I was born in Summit, New Jersey. Uh, lived in Berkeley Heights. Went to school in Summit, and then um, you know had a tiger mother upbringing. Very classic Asian immigrant parents. Um, you know, had to go to certain schools, so I ended up at Columbia University, majoring in engineering, and 
from there, um, went into finance. I was at Morgan Stanley um, selling fixed income derivatives for about five years. And then, um, yeah, I decided I couldn't take that anymore and enrolled in cooking school at the SCI in Soho, New York, and um, never looked back. And so I've kind of had this, like, choose-your-own-adventure type of life where I was kind of embarking on different I, things all along the way. That totally is a choose-your-own-adventure, but I we have to take a step back just because what was going on on Wall Street? Like, what, what was going through your head? What did you do? Like, I know you were there for about five years, so that's a long yeah. time. You know, you were building yeah. a real career there with with potentially tens of millions of dollars you were leaving on the table. <laughs> yeah, and when I was there it was so long ago, it was, you know, money grew on trees type Wall Street days. Um, and I just didn't love it. I mean, I was like, okay, I'm schlepping bonds. Um, I don't love bond math. I don't love fixing I, I thought everybody loved bond math. <laughs> You know, like I couldn't care less about like convexity and duration and all, all these words. And I just got, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I was good at it. Um, I worked with great people. You know, everybody's really smart in, in the financial services and, and very driven, like type A personalities, which is um, kind of fun to, to, to be in such an environment where you're always learning and, and you're learning through osmosis. And, um, but I just couldn't take it anymore, and I found that I'd, all I wanted to do on the weekends was just to read cookbooks and cooking magazines and, um, and, and get into food. So you loved cooking. You were working Wall Street during the week, but you just, you just were obsessed with cooking and food and everything. Were, were you into cooking yeah. as a kid? Yeah, um, I would say I'm more obsessed with eating versus cooking. <laughs> uh, which you know, yeah, no, people are going to get this image that you're like 600 pounds. I just want to say for the audience, you are the opposite of that. You're, you do not look like you eat very much at all. So, um, you know. well, you know, a a Asian girls, we have this you know wooden leg that's hidden and invisible to the rest of the world, where we just like chow down and everything goes into the wooden leg. That must and be I true because when I look at your photos, it does not look like you are an eater. But, uh, yeah, I, but I, go I ahead. So you're eating. obsessed with eating. Yeah. And um, and also just because of my uh, my strong science background, um, uh, the world of cooking as well as, you know, particularly pastry really appealed to me. I mean, working in a kitchen is just like working in a laboratory where you have controls and variables. You're doing experiments. Um, you know, it matters if you cook something low or slow or into high heat. It matters what kind of fat you use, if it's butter or lard or oil. Um, it makes a big difference if you whisk something, mix something, or fold it. So, so like, your engineering background oddly applied to both Wall Street and cooking. Like, you're able to kind of take a similar skill set and apply it in both directions. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, cooking is all science. It's, but, but, I, I think but when, science when, is applied to many different things in life, yeah. But when you're when you're on Wall Street, though, again, like, how did you decide? Okay, th this is a huge decision. I'm gonna leave, you know, again, millions of dollars on the table, and I'm gonna go to the the, the French Culinary Institute for school. Like that yeah. must have been like your parents must have been been going crazy. Oh yeah, they're like suicidal practically. Um, and you know what? I was, I was, um, my, my, my husband at the time, he was just like, you know what? Just do what you want. He was really supportive. Um, and he kind of acted as my, um, sponsor, like, like my Medici, if you will. I was like, you do this, 
go back to school, reinvent yourself, um, become a student again, and um, find out what color your parachute is. And I never thought in a million years if it would lead to this. You know, I thought I'd have like really cool birthday parties for my kids or something, <laughs> but it ended up turning into a viable career. So I, well, I, when I, were you, when were you at the French Culinary Institute? Um, I haven't been there in a while, but I am going on Monday. No, but I mean, when did you go to school there? Oh, when did I go? Oh, sorry. Um, I graduated 2004. Okay, because I've eaten there. They, 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 just so people know, this is on Broadway, right? And you, and it's a restaurant yeah. also where the students cook. It's true. It's called Lake Cole. It's in Soho on Broadway in, in New York City. Yep. And and it's excellent. I've eaten there a few times. The the students cook great. Maybe maybe you've even cooked for me before there. So possibly so very good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And very so fun. so then what happened? You then went. So so first off, I just want to see what the leap is. And I don't know if you've ever really spoken about this, but yep. did you have like money in the bank that was comfortable so you could make this leap, or like how much money were you leaving on the table when you left Wall Street? Because I think people are always afraid when they make that jump that they just yeah. they can't do it because they're never going to be able to pay their bills if they pursue their it's passion. True. So it's like, true. what it's, what did it take yeah. for you to make that jump, just financially? Um, well, I mean, financially, I mean, I, I did have savings, you know, because, I mean, back then you're getting paid quite handsomely, even at, at my level, and you're working so much you don't even have time to spend your money, you know? <laughs> like, I think it took one week of vacation the entire year. So, and, so what does that mean? Um, like, that doesn't mean $100 million. What does it no, mean? No, was no, it no. in seven <laughs> figures? No, I would I, I wouldn't say that. I would say like like healthy six six digits in in, in the bank, you know. Um, but I, I mean, I really got supported by my husband. You know, he he continued working in finance, and I didn't have to you know provide all of the rent. You know, I I, I had him you know paying for most of of my living expenses, which was which was great. So I, I really yes. have to I, I, I kinda owe it to him for, for being my sponsor in that sense. But it's difficult, you know, um you really have to downgrade your life. And is your so so uh skipping ahead, is your life more hectic now or less hectic because you're both a chef and a TV star? It's it's crazy, um, but it's so fun. I mean, I definitely have a very high fun factor <laughs> with with my job. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. Um, I don't know what I'm going to be filming. You know, like I, I just did a live TV show the other day, uh, which was which was crazy. I just, um, you know, I was I'm, I just came from another interview now, just pr just promoting Korean food made simple. And so, so, so my days are really varied. And of course, I have my restaurant in London. I'm, I'm working on new concepts now as well. And yeah, it's it's like being an entrepreneur, which I think is, is, is fine because you get to be creative, you're working for yourself, and you get to be involved in projects that you want to be involved in. Well, it's very much an entrepreneur. You're like a solopreneur where your different media outlets are various streams of income, and you are constantly trying to improve yourself, improve your exposure to your audience, and develop yeah. different you know income streams from it. Yeah. So, so, so how did you make the initial jump to, you know, being a chef? Oh, first um, off, was your boss flipping out when you told them what you were going to do in, from Wall Street? No, 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 no. I mean, everybody in finance is, is really, you know, professional and, and supportive. I actually just had drinks with my, with my old boss the other day here um, in New York, and um, they love it. You know, it's kind of like the person who escaped and actually made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all jealous. They all want to be yeah, like comic book artists and chefs yeah. and all this stuff, and you did it. 
Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, a, a lot of people do make the switch, but it's, um, you know, I've been very lucky and very blessed that I've made the switch and it's it's happened in such a way where it's you know, getting on TV, doing the Iron Chef thing, and, and I've, I've made the switch and it's actually worked, you know, in, in a way that I never imagined. But it wasn't just—it wasn't just luck. So you—you you basically trained yourself at one of the best schools to train yourself to be a chef, and then you're, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, you're in Gordon Ramsay's restaurant, and you basically yeah. introduce yourself to him, and he says, "Come and work for me." Like this yeah. is like a dream come true. How, how did that happen? Um, well, yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the common perception that it's very hard to get a job in these kitchens—it's actually not that hard to get a job there. It's hard to stay. Um, because they haze you, it's brutal, the hours are crazy, um, you know, and it's, it's just a very physically tiring and demanding environment. You know, you're working long hours, um, you're in front of a hot stove, or you're, you're, on, you're on your feet for, for, you know, forever, <laughs> and it's, it's just tough, you know. Um, so it's, 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 what do, it's what do you mean by hazing? Like, do they try to give you like bad ingredients and make you cook something, no. or well, what, yeah, what happened? You have to like, you have to like, you know, like they give you a fork and you have to juice like five crates of lemons with it, or like you get like you know, you know, bushels and bushels of like spinach and you have to pick the stems off. You know, so you get like like crazy mundane, monotonous jobs like that that basically take four hours. And, and is this Gordon Ramsay um, doing this hazing, or just the other coworkers in the kitchen? Other co- Gordon by that time was already well into his um, television career. I've only met him a few times. Yeah, but he's the one who initially hired you for the kitchen, though. Yes, but I mean, he just happened to be there. Yeah. Wow. So that is really yeah. kind of an element of of luck to it. There is, um, and I think that in life that uh, that luck does play a part. But I think to a certain extent, you also make your own luck, <laughs> and um, you know you can you can meet all the right people, and it can never amount to anything. Or you can meet the right people and make an impact and make something change in your life. Well, well, let's look at that. Let's look at how you made your own luck. So you had savings. Yeah. You 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 made the decision to quit a very high paying job, which is very hard to do. You went to school for cooking, even though you know you basically you started at the bottom, coming from the top of your field, going to the bottom of the field, and then you went to the best restaurant in the world and got hired by the best chef in the world after introducing yourself to him. So you very much yeah. created your own luck. Like luck favors the prepared. <laughs> And you were very prepared. Yeah, it's true. Um, I think that one thing also is that um, because I, I I have a strong um, education as well as because I am coming from the corporate world, I've, I've been, you know, like part of that is it's like you're used to like networking. You're like you're used to public speaking. You're used to saying and meeting people and following up and working hard. And I think that um all of that is part of the, the equation to to become successful in anything that you do. That's those, that's a really great point. And um, so so how did so now this is really just the beginning of your career when you're in the kitchen there. How did you, how did this go from you know uh, the next phase which enters the the media stuff? Um, yeah, so I was working there. I was freelancing. I was I was writing. Um, I started doing appearances on TV shows out in London, um, regular guest appearances, cooking, doing doing demos, and then the Iron Chef. Uh, uh, how did that happen? Like, how did you start doing you know guest appearances places? Like, how did you put yourself out there? 
um, I met a producer just um, at a restaurant opening, and um, she just liked me, liked what I had to say, you know, uh, thought I was television friendly. I'm not a complete eyesore, <laughs> so, which is part of the battle with, with television also. And um, that, That's my problem. That's why we're doing an audio-only podcast. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, like when you say um, she liked what you had to say, what did you have to say? You were just talking about, like, cooking. Yeah, talking about cooking, but also I was talking about Korean food, and Korean food, you know, was relatively still unknown back then, um, and everybody's always curious about different ethnic cuisines, plus I'm a female, so, you know, female chefs are very far and few, so she really wanted to promote, you know, more more women chefs, so I have that going for me as well, um, and also, like, everybody loves this career changer story, so it's just the fact that I have such a different background as, as well, so I had I had a number of things that um, kind of make me different than your regular um, Italian chef, I say, which is like a thousand of them, and um, right. and uh, just pick it from there. Well, well, let me ask you about that. Like, yeah, most women cook. Most men don't cook. I'm, I don't know if this sounds sexist or what, but it's just like yeah, the reality. Yeah, yeah. Everybody talks about their mothers cooking. Why are there? Why are all the sh- the famous chefs male, and there's very few famous female chefs when it's the mothers who did all the cooking? Um, you know what, I think that's, that just has to do with the fact that um, the kitchen environment is really difficult. Um, it's long, long hours. It's physically exhausting. It's, it's physically demanding, you know. Um, and I think it's just, it's just not conducive or friendly. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily a very, if you're going to play test, stereotypes, a female-friendly environment, I guess, um, in the same way that the training floor isn't either. There's lots of yelling and screaming, um, swearing, and, and you see very few women on, on, on the training floor. Um, now it's, it's, it's getting better. Um, it's getting better in kitchens as well, but it's, it's not one of these, um, I guess, stereotypical areas that um, women choose to, to be in. That's really funny because I would scream at my ex-wife all the time when she was cooking. <laughs> yeah. So, but, yeah. okay, so uh, now you meet this producer and she starts booking you for all these gigs and what happens next? The um, Iron Chef casting call come, comes around and the entire country goes for it just because it's such a powerful franchise and brand and everybody's heard the show or seen the show in some form in the U.S. or in the, the original Japanese version, etc. And um, I go to casting call after casting call and um, ended up landing the gig. So um, one of the four Iron Chefs um, in the U.K. and um, use that as a platform because the production company who does it in the States consulted on the production in the U.K., and they brought me over to do judging for Next Iron Chef and Iron Chef America. So I've been one of the uh, resident stable judges um, on that show for a, a number of years now, which is completely fun. And doing more and more work with Food Network and Cooking Channel, obviously, with my show out on Cooking Channel now, uh, with Korean Food Made Simple. And, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of been a wild ride, and um, television is, is part of it. And, and you run a restaurant in London. Yes. Yeah, so... Um, the Playboy Club, they found me through Iron Chef. I have to say it was a bit of a you know, cheeky marketing move on their behalf to put a female in front um, of, of, of their kitchen. And, and it's, 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 it's been fun. I mean, they, they put me in front of a lot of different feminist reporters and, um, you know, somebody. And obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm educated. I'm somewhat articulate and, um, and just can handle all, all of the questions. And uh, in this day and age, I don't really 
find that Playboy is that risque anymore. I mean, it's 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 almost cute. <laughs> you know, you can't even watch a music video without seeing things that are um, more salacious than than what than what you find with with the Playboy brand. On honestly, so um, I it's 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 fun. I think life is about creating memories also, and there's a massive fun factor with working like a, with a brand like Playboy sure. and, and a super brand. It's got 98% worldwide recognition, and it's um, it's been hysterical, fun. Um, challenging everything about yeah well uh, I mean is it a popular restaurant like I when I think Playboy I don't think uh, food it's it's a casino it's it's a big venue we have um, a casino it's a high rolling casino it's members only it is a fine dining restaurant we have private dining rooms private gaming rooms um, a cigar and uh, a cigar terrace and lounge cocktail bar area sports bar and um, a nightclub and what, what, what were some of the things that you did to kind of put your own mark on the restaurant once you started there? Um, well, it's American food in its essence, but I do a lot of Korean and Asian twists. Like, we make our own kimchi at the Playboy Club, which I think is great. Um, we have a lot of Asian-infused dishes, um, a lot of Korean elements that end up on, on, on the menu, which I think is, is very natural right now. You can't seem to go out without finding kimchi on some part of a menu and anywhere in New York City. Um, but, um, you know, like, I, I, I also, like, in, in my sports bar, I have all the great American bar food, you know, so I do really amazing buffalo wings made with, you know, fantastic artisanal cheese for the blue cheese sauce, and we use great wings, and I've kind of made this bespoke hot sauce that we dip them in, and it's, so everything, even even if it's simple as a buffalo wing, is, is made um, with a lot of care and trying to perfect it, so it's absolutely delicious. Oh, my God. I can't even think of a buffalo wing that would be delicious. So tell me what should I do? Like, let's say I have chicken. How can I make uh, a delicious, yeah, a delicious buffalo wing? Well, I think I'm kind of a purist. I think you have to use Frank's Red Hot Sauce. Okay. Like, and which is part of the original equation. Yeah. And then to that, I add a whole slew of stuff. So a lot of people will just use the Frank's Red Hot Sauce, like, in its pure form, but I don't. I like to add some brown sugar to sweeten it up, some garlic. I like to add mustard to give it a bit more depth of flavor, um, even, you know, a little bit of ginger sometimes. I mean, so you can add a whole bunch of other things, like shallots, to kind of make that that hot sauce have a bit more depth of flavor and, and complexity. How did you think to add mustard to something like that? Mustard's good on everything. <laughs> okay, that's a good thing to know. What if I'm having like pasta? So yeah, I, I love pasta. mustard. I love mustard. Yeah. So um, all right. What What's another recipe I can make like tonight for my for my new wife who I don't scream at? Um, I think you should make. I have a really great recipe that I've done on Korean food made simple called bosom, which is a twice cooked pork belly. It's, mm. it's just awesome in every way. Now you're talking my language. Yeah. <laughs> so twice cooked, what does that mean? Because I don't know anything. So, like, I put it in the okay, oven twice. So basically, you take um, skinless, well, a, a pork belly. It has a, has a skin on, boneless, though. And you just boil it a couple of hours, maybe three hours, um, with some Asian aromatics. So you got ginger, garlic, um, some scallions, uh, onion, a few few peppercorns if you want, and some um, Korean soybean paste or miso paste. Mm. Boil that till it's really soft, and then take it out, um, rip, rip the skin off, and then um, you make a really kind of uh, succulent glaze, which I do with some Korean chili sauce, honey, sweeten it up, um, sesame oil, and you smear that all over the top of it. Um, 
and with, with, with some soy sauce um, and ginger again and mm. um, then then you bake that in the oven broil it get it all caramelized and nice you take it out slice it thinly and then you throw it on top of some rice with some lettuce leaves and some um, samjang sauce if you want to or you can make a, another sauce or a schmear with some denjang uh, sesame seeds some ginger onions and, and just shove that in your mouth and it, it's addictive <laughs> wow I might if I could I'm gonna have to play back this recording and I'm gonna I'm gonna cook this but I will look, send you the recipe definitely. yeah I'd appreciate that and then I'll even yeah. post it on the on the blog and everything but yeah 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 we've got pictures uh, all, all, all kinds of stuff yeah so so when you started doing like let's say the iron chef and, and judging this is more of like almost like an acting role like you have to act like an iron chef like you know yeah. really tough so how was yeah. that for you like being you know playing a role almost um you know what it's it's difficult on iron chef particularly when you're competing because you hardly have time to cook let alone talk and say and try to construct witty, pithy commentary, you know? So it's, 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 it's hard, and you have, like, eight cameras on you at all times, at all, at all angles, and um, it, it is acting because they want you to be tough, especially when you're judging. You're supposed to be one of the toughest judges in America. Um, and um, But it's, it's kind of, you know, fun as well, you know, because I obviously know my food and I know my stuff. I have a large repertoire of, of expertise being a French-trained Korean-American London it doesn't matter what you throw at me. I probably had it before. I understand it, and I could probably make it. You know? um, and and did did you yeah. ever make a contestant cry because you were so harsh no, in your judging? No, no. Did you see any of the contestants ever cry? Um, yeah, I, 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 I've seen people cry when they lose. Yeah. And and how are they comforted? How are they? How do they deal with that? I don't think I could deal with that. It's it's part of the competition. Somebody's got to win, and somebody has to, has to lose, you know. And, and you just say next time, or you know, it's yeah, it's just so, um, what so, can so, you say? You know, you, you cooked awesome, you know. Like we had to just pick somebody, and it was minuscule above. And a lot of times with Iron Chef, it really is somebody is just a hairline fracture ahead of somebody else. Wow, but there's some subjectivity to it, right? Like because you're just determining uh, everybody's got different taste buds. Of course, and, and there's subjectivity to everything. You know, um, everybody has has different um, opinions on art, or you know, um, judging sports. You know, there's 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 a technical capability and execution as well as interpretation. Um, same and same with music. Uh, so there's subjectivity in, in, in everything that we do. But um, I think that there is a certain standard of what is universally um, kind of delicious almost um, I wouldn't say that everybody has the same taste buds but you, as a chef you try to make something that is the most accessible and welcoming to all taste buds so so you know well, you mentioned earlier that cooking is a lot like a science and yet cooking's one of those things where you know you, you kind of you, you take like your grandmother's recipe and you tweak it a little bit and you do things and it's delicious like it's one of those sciences that really depends on um, things that have been handed down for generations, as opposed to a lot of science, which kind of throws out earlier generations 
uh, work. You know, like take medicine as an example. Of course, yeah. we use some medicines from prior generations, but sometimes the medicines from prior generations we realize actually kills people. But with, yeah. with food, it seems like, oh, I've got my secret grandmother's recipe and it's going to be yeah. my the way I'm going to win. Like, how, what, what is it about cooking that, you know, how has science sort of uh, moved along the, the art of cooking? Um, you know, I, I think it's both because there, there are some foods that have just died over the ages. You know, I was looking at some of the old Playboy Club menus from the 1960s and 70s in, in London, and they had things on there like turtle soup. Like, yeah. Nobody eats turtle soup anymore. <laughs> and, um, so I think that the food is just as dynamic as, as a lot of different um, industries as well. But, you know, there is a sense of nostalgia, and people... Um, have such a strong have such strong food memories um, and everybody you know remembers something that their mom used to make or something that their grandmother used used to make and it's it's so personal I think that that's part of the reason why um, certain re- recipes are, are handed down like heirloom yeah so so like what's a, what's a recipe your grandmother will cook that you that you have kind of upgraded um, probably her silken tofu soup stew mm. It's good, and my mom makes it, which is really good. Um, I haven't changed that that much, I would have to say. Like, maybe we use some nicer cuts of meat instead of spam. <laughs> that would help. <laughs> Yeah, and, and cut up hot dogs, <laughs> like Korean War rations. Although I'm, I'm starting to think the cut up hot dogs might be good. Yeah, actually, there's a stew called Budejige, which is made of all of the uh, war rations. Um, where you have, you know, cut up Vienna sausages and spam hanging out in there, some corn, like baked beans, or like whatever, whatever they 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 could get their hands on, was kind of thrown into this big pot and stewed up with some chilies and spice. So, so Judy, probably a lot of people are listening to this and they're thinking, oh my gosh. This woman made a lot of interesting choices, and she managed to to live or pursue the the career of her dreams. And and a lot of people think to themselves, "I can't do this." You know, what are the common excuses you think people have, and how do they how do they get over them in order to recreate their careers? How how do they how do they find what they want to do? It seems like you found it because you it was, this was how you were spending your free time. But and yeah. then once you find it, how do you start to aim yourself to to make this leap that you've made? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with um, just kind of being brave and. Um, you know, figuring out what you love to do is part of it, you know, like, and I think that most, if not all hobbies can be made into a, a, a career. If you love golf, you can find something in the golfing world to make that into a viable career, you know? I totally um, agree with that. Yeah, and I think that if you love what you do, that the money will eventually follow, and I think that it's really just about hard work, hard work and passion, and if, if you if you work hard and you're smart about the way you work and you're passionate about it, it, it it'll happen eventually. So it, it really helped you though that your your you know your spouse your partner was also very supportive. I mean, what if somebody's spouse yeah. is not so supportive? Would you say that, yeah. fi- find that, a new spouse yeah. or what, what mean, would you do? What would you tell I that don't person? Know. I mean, obviously with with a partnership, it makes things things more difficult because um, you know all of a sudden like. You're you're not home at dinner because you're working every night for dinner. You're 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 not home on Saturday night. You're you're swallowing the irony of working the party that you used to go to, you know. And um, yeah, you're you're the help now. 
Exactly. Yeah, chefs are, are notorious for having ridiculously long hours, and it's an impact on the entire family. So um, obviously, you know, do, do what you love, but you know, you also love your family, and you love your kids, and, and you love your wife, and, and or your husband. So there has to be something of, of a balance. But you can pursue careers in food where you're not working restaurant hours. I mean, you, you can be a food journalist. You can do food media. You can work in television for food. You can do, you know, recipe testing or, or, or development. So there's so many different things. You can be a food photographer. You know, there's so many different things that you can do within food that don't make you work, you know, nights and every single night. So did, did you ever sit, when you were making this decision, did you ever sit down and kind of make a list of all of the uh possible ways you could break into this career or did you have your heart fixed on kind of just one direction um no i didn't i kind of like i've also had this this weird thing within the food industry where i my first job in the food industry was at severe magazine so i was working in editorial and in their test kitchen because i, I didn't want to work those those hours and so i was working regular business hours and um then it just kind of evolved into into more things and working odd hours and then freelancing and now um, now it's because I, I freelance and I work for myself I kind of have this thing where it's 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 feast or famine I'm either ridiculously busy or I have nothing going on. <laughs> and do you get, when you have um, nothing going on, do you get stressed out? Do you like start making calls like I need to get uh, another show or I need to to book something? Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously, but there's always so much that you can be doing, you know, like, like oh, I, 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 I can work more on this, or I should contact this person and write this, or whatever, you know, like, so, like, right now I don't have a, another show lined up, but I'm working on my book, and I'm working on a new restaurant concept, and so, so there's always kind of things in the pipeline, if they're not immediately pressing, you're always looking ahead to the next big project. What, what's a restaurant concept mean? Like, what, what are you thinking of? Uh, I'm thinking of doing my own place. Yeah, outside. The, uh, and and will it be like yeah. Korean or Korean American or Asian fusion uh, yeah, or yeah. modern Korean um, kind of sexy, fashionable Korean food? What does what does sexy mean in the context of food? Um, just kind of a, an environment that is um, a sexy setting. So kind of cool, nice bar, good good drinks concept, um, a place that you want to kind of hang out and has a a fun vibe about it. Can you make it in New York City so I can go and say, hey, I know the <laughs> owner here, so just, I'm cool. Yeah. I'm a VIP here. You should, you should yeah. make it in New York. I would love to. Stay tuned. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I have no idea. <laughs> and, and have you thought about doing like a, a cookbook? You know, kind of like an yeah. Anthony Bourdain style? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm, my book's going to come out in 2015, so stay tuned for that as well. Oh, good. And and what is your what's your husband think now? Well, we're divorced now. Oh my gosh! What happened? <laughs> he was like my hero for a second. I know, I know. Not anymore. <laughs> okay, you're my hero. But, but but what happened? I'm sorry to hear this. Like what? what? Oh, it's it's okay. It happens to you know more than half of the population these days in America. So. Um. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm divorced and remarried as well. So there you so go. You're part of the statistic but, too. <laughs> But did, could he not handle the long hours? Um, yeah, I mean, he, he wasn't crazy about that. But I wasn't, you know, working like, like, like that all the time. It, you know, all that stuff gets complicated. And, and then and then you started the TV show. Did he, you think he got a little jealous, maybe, or envious uh, of, of how successful? I don't know. I think it was the culmination of a lot of different things. Um, yeah. It, it, I mean, it just, it just gets messy and... 
irreconcilable differences, um, traveling apart, stuff like that. You just thrift. When you were going through the divorce, did this make you a more harsh judge on the Iron Chef shows? <laughs> no, it doesn't make this you more harsh judge. But I know exactly. But I think that like I, I don't think you should ever cook angry. Ah, that's you know, really because because I think that like that like energy gets transformed, tra- you know, transfers to the food somehow. Because like once I was really angry and I, and I made brownies, and they turned out to be like mean angry brownies, like they didn't taste good. <laughs> Did they make everyone who eat them angry? Like was the anger contagious no, in the food? I, I don't think so. No, but like I just didn't think that they tasted as good, and it was like it was a recipe that I made all the time. And for some reason, when I made them, because I was angry, they turned out angry. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, I, um, I, I, I agree with that. I don't know why I agree with that, but that seems to make a lot of sense to me. That you put your, you put your love into your art, and people are going to sense it and feel it. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is, it is an outlet. You know, the the plate is a canvas. Let's say I, I have the bravery and I have a supportive, you know, environment around me. What's kind of the next step if, you know, before I make this leap? Because let's say I have bills to pay and, I, and, I, and you know, I, I want to make sure I'm making the right decision and I'm scared. Yeah. Um, I mean, you will get paid something. And a lot of people are in this industry, obviously, making money and living their life. So it's not like you're going to be homeless. Right. You know, it's, and it just depends on what you're used to, you know. So if you're a banker or a lawyer or a consultant, yeah, you're going to downgrade your life, you know. Um, but, you know, the, it, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people that work in this industry and do just fine and have families and have kids and, like, have apartments and roofs over their heads. So it, it's not that bad. <laughs> so, so I think kind of the message is because not everybody wants to be a chef. Some people want to be writers. Some people want to be athletes or work in the sports industry or work in the marketing industry yeah. so but just with every industry i think it's an important point to remember is that there's thousands of people in that industry making a living no matter what industry you're coming from exactly exactly the bravery yeah. comes in though where you actually went back to school and started from scratch when you were already yeah. at a pretty high point in your old industry like how did yeah. you develop that bravery um, you know what? It's it's also just it's how much you hate your current job too. <laughs> I think it's you part of it, it. Also. <laughs> You know, so so that motivates you. Um and, and also how much you love the industry you want to be in, you know? Like if if you love something that much and you have that much passion for it, it's you're gonna wanna do it and throw yourself into it. I like what you were saying earlier, though, about all the different possibilities you had in the food industry. And I and I strongly encourage people to make a list of all the possibilities. So let's say you're yeah. interested in, in basketball, but you're obviously not eight feet tall. Uh, yeah. Make a list of all the ways you could, you know, you could be a sports agent. You could be, you could write about basketball. There's many ways to uh, make a living in any industry, no matter what your love is. Definitely. I mean, you could even work... And, and fields adjacent to basketball, like making basketball, like helping design things, like the ergonomics of basketball station chair or like seats or something, or you know, like it's it's like like designing golf clubs even, or designing tennis rackets, or. It's so with funny brands. you mention that because I once got really obsessed with making a new and better tennis racket, and I got go. really into the science uh, of the strings and the and the materials and everything, but then. I, I wasn't that interested in it, so I gave up. But it was it was fun for a brief moment. I considered it. 
Yeah. I mean, you can, and in the food industry, you can work at Whole Foods. You know, you don't have to be a chef, per se. You can work in marketing at Whole Foods. You can work in their strategic development teams. You can bring your business skills that you garnered on Wall Street and work in their operating costs or whatever, you know, and figure out what their next um, strategic business development plans could be. Well, is it fair to say that you've replaced or, or exceeded your income from your old industry with your new industry? Um, not quite yet. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> Given all the TV shows, all of the, your chef here, chef there, all the appearances. Yeah, no, I haven't. Wall Street my Man is just level hard to beat. <laughs> But I, I will, I will, and, and then I, I'm sure I will surpass that, yeah. It sounds like you're having a lot more fun, though. I am, and like, and, and definitely, like, if I had stayed in finance, I would be making a ton more money now than I am now in, in cooking. I mean, like, the, the, you just can't compete with the salaries in, in, in those industries um, in the cooking world. But um, I'm, I'm a much happier person. I'm, I'm a better person for it, and um, and life is too short not to do what you love. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So now I was going to ask you all sorts of questions about bond convex convexity but uh it doesn't sound like you're really into that at all nope i left that world behind me yeah but like but, but the economy does affect you like if you're thinking of opening up a restaurant you've got to get investors you've got to get find a great location you've got to uh oh, you've yeah. got to hope the economy is, is going strong so if you're expensive you could you could charge those prices Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you have to write an entire business model, figure out what all their costs are, um, your overheads, what what you have to, you know, cost each dish, what what your markup's going to be. I mean, it, it's running a business, and and it's math. How many How many restaurants succeed? Um, I think in New York, there's something like an eighty or eighty five percent closure rate within the first three to five years. Wow. I, I mean, I there's so many restaurants there. in New York. Every block's got like five restaurants. I, I yeah. can understand, but 85%, I didn't realize it was that high. Something what like is, that. Don't quote me on that, but it was shockingly high. Yeah. What, why does anybody even start a restaurant then? Um, because people love food. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that there are a lot of restaurants that are started by vanity projects. Um, and I think there are a lot of talented chefs out there who make great food, but they're very poor businessmen. And so so they, they what are mistakes that they make? Control. What, what, what are, like, the most common mistakes a chef might make? Um, or a restaurant on the, on the menu that he thinks will sell, but then don't, and not changing them quickly enough. Um You know, um, you really have to create a menu that is is welcoming and accessible for everyone. And I think that um, a lot of chefs treat their restaurants like vanity projects, and, and they're like, well, they should eat it this way because this is the way I want them to eat it, where they should really be making a product that is tailored towards their customers' taste. I have an idea for you that you can use yep. to, to test that. Let's say you're opening up a restaurant in New York and you have um, 200 ideas for recipes. You should make Facebook ads, uh, you know, get the recipe for these uh, Korean buffalo wings, Korean-style buffalo wings, and, you know, have a landing page with, with, you know, maybe the recipe or maybe the landing page to your restaurant. It doesn't matter. And then you see, of the 200 Facebook ads that you create, one for each recipe, you see what the top 30 click-through rates are like which yeah. ad has got the most clicks and there's your menu exactly 
It's like burgers, fried chicken, <laughs> tacos. <laughs> I guess that's yeah. true. But you could, you know what though? You could target though New York. You could target like people of certain jobs, so you get certain income levels. You could target like yeah. an age group or male, female, so you can, Definitely. you know, so it won't just be kids. You could target like the exact demographic your restaurant's going to cater to. Yep. Yep. That's yes. a great idea. I come up with an idea every now and then. It's not so bad. (laughs) (laughs) So, so Judy, I really hope your restaurant does open up in New York because I'm going to eat there. And good luck on when when you when's your book coming out in the middle of 2015. Uh, Probably more towards the end. Yeah. Well, I hope you can come back on the show when when your book comes out or when you ever have any project coming up. We'll we'll be happy to to talk again. It'll be fun. Love to, love to, love to. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, and I think the, the empowering message here is, you know, do what you love. And I think everybody could, everybody ha- does have things that they love. Sometimes it's a little difficult to find what it is, but I think it's it's there. And it's okay to, to play around a little while to, to find what it is. But, Completely. you know, then do the work and, and build the foundation and the house gets built. Amazing. Yeah, definitely. So so thanks again, Judy, and, and good luck, and, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it, and we'll definitely speak again. Yes, definitely. Thank you. For more from James, check out The James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.